Last week, more than 2 million people told the U.S. government, I'm unemployed and I need help. We've been hearing numbers like this for weeks, ever since businesses shut down over the COVID-19 pandemic. Since then, more than 40 million people have filed for unemployment benefits in the U.S. That's one in four U.S. workers. So today we're going to get into what these unemployment figures tell us, what they don't tell us, and how long economists say it will take to recover. To figure out what to make of the moment we're in right now, we have to go back to the beginning. Back to March, shortly after the economy started shutting down. We just got, guys, the number that we've been waiting for all morning just moments ago. The number of Americans filing claims for unemployment benefits has hit a record high for a single week. We're talking about a decade of job expansion that suddenly has come to a screeching halt. That was March 26th. At the time, over 3 million people had just filed for unemployment for the first time. A record high. We wanted to know more about what these historic unemployment numbers meant. So we called up Catherine Ann Edwards. My name is Catherine Ann Edwards, and I'm a PhD economist. I specialize in labor, but you can just refer to me as Catherine. Catherine is a labor economist at the public policy think tank, the RAND Corporation. At the time, she warned us, What this number tells us this morning is that a lot of people are looking to this program for help, probably people who have never applied before, probably people who have never thought about applying before or didn't know how, and they're going to be met with a very difficult and defunct computer system. They're going to be met with long wait times on the phone, and for a lot of them, they're going to be met with rejection of the claim. Sure enough, in the weeks that followed, that's exactly what happened. Unemployment offices are shut down to those who need them most when they need them most. If you filed for unemployment and still haven't received your benefits, you're not alone. How that state is struggling to process the surge, creating more uncertainty for people who need help. So after a few weeks of consistently bad news like this and high unemployment numbers, we decided to check back in with Catherine and see how things were going. She said that while there are still a lot of issues with the unemployment insurance program, the evidence appears to show that most people eligible to get their benefits are getting them or are going to get them. But unfortunately, there is another system that exists alongside unemployment insurance that was created by the CARES Act, and that is pandemic unemployment assistance. Remember, one of the things Congress's CARES Act did was it allowed workers who weren't previously eligible to start getting unemployment benefits. We're talking gig workers, freelancers, and people who are self-employed. Given the severity of the pandemic, Congress extended benefits to those workers, and states have to stand up that program. So they have to create this program from scratch. They don't have people's income tax returns and 1099s available on hand to immediately figure out, yes, you were a contractor. They have to to come up with a processing system and a qualification measurement and a verification process. It's taken states a while to figure out how to implement that new program. Many states have only just gotten their systems up and running and are able to pay out these claims. And a few, like North Carolina and Florida, are still struggling to process even normal unemployment insurance claims. Just a few weeks into the pandemic-related shutdowns, the unemployment rate in the U.S. has gone from a half-century low of 3.5% to a near-record high of 14.7%. Within the span of just a few weeks, the unemployment rate is the highest it's been since the Great Depression back in the 1930s. And even that might not illustrate the full picture. It's worse than it seems. 
unfortunately. Um, and the reason for that is that the way that we officially measure the unemployment rates is not really geared to capture the idea that so many millions of workers would be sheltering in place at their homes. Because the Bureau of Labor Statistics is trying to do something it's never done before, that unemployment rate could actually be much higher. In the last unemployment rate estimates, the commissioner of the Bureau of Labor Statistics said, we think that a lot of people who are counted as employed are actually miscounted and that the unemployment rate should be about five points higher than it is now. Mm-hmm. So the official unemployment rate is 14.7%. According to the commissioner's statement, it should probably be closer to 19. And if some people are hoping for a quick return to the way things used to be, Catherine says our historical understanding of economic recessions tells us that that's not likely. So the the analogy that works best is to think of a bathtub, right? There's water flowing in from the faucet and there's water coming out from the drain. And the flow rate out of the faucet and the flow rate out of the drain is gonna determine the level of the tub. And so when we think about unemployment, something like the weekly unemployment insurance claims, that's telling us how fast the faucet is flowing. But what leads to labor market recovery isn't that less water comes in, it's that more water comes out. Catherine says that was the critical lesson learned from the Great Recession. By the time it ended in mid-2009, the unemployment rate was 9.5%. And it took a long time to bring that rate back down. The drain never really picked up speed. And that people being hired out of unemployment and getting back into work took a really long time. So this is, you might've heard this referred to as the V-shaped versus the L-shaped recovery of how quickly the labor market will bounce back. Unfortunately, all of our study of unemployment has shown that in the past recessions, in particular the Great Recession, it took a long time for the unemployed to be hired out. And it makes sense, right? I mean, firms were very wary to hire or expand. It was a credit crunch. They had a hard time getting access to loans. Um, And at the same time, workers were terrified to leave their jobs. So you just you just saw that there were so many fewer job openings, but so many more people competing for them. The lesson there is that we would be better off if we had a system like short term compensation or work sharing that would prevent people from going into the tub at all. Right. If I can keep people from getting unemployed, then I don't have this same problem of having to drain the tub. Unfortunately, this has never been adopted or endorsed officially uh, in the United States. What we're seeing in the CARES Act is basically they're trying to do it on the fly, right? The Paycheck Protection Program is trying to give money to businesses to give them an interest-free loan that they don't even have to pay back if they keep their workers on staff. So we've learned this lesson. We just haven't applied that skill very well. You know, setting up a system in which uh, employers automatically have access to this money and automatically have the ability to retain workers during a recession without having to apply for a loan, wait in line, get told they're not important, and a system that is not only a lot of money but has apparently very little oversight, you know, we never internalized it. So we know that unemployment is bad, but we haven't fixed it yet. The unemployment rate also doesn't account for everyone impacted by this, like people who have shifted to part-time work out of necessity, or people who are available to work but have given up looking for a job or are not currently looking. They're sometimes referred to as discouraged workers. In the 2008 recession, discouraged workers were a very big part of underemployment. People were looking for so long that they gave up. But when you give up, you're no longer unemployed. 
So we would count the number of people who had basically given up on the labor market. Going forward, as this recovery starts and unemployment starts to fall, I think discouraged workers is going to be one of the most important metrics to follow because a lot of people who are you know, on temporary layoff now, people whose jobs sent them home and said, I'm going to bring you back as soon as I can, those might become permanent layoffs and those workers are going to have to start looking for work and, and all the evidence suggests that this is going to be a very long recovery and a lot of people are going to get discouraged along the way. So the unemployment numbers we're seeing likely don't tell the full picture of how COVID-19 has impacted jobs in the U.S. One thing we have seen is a lot of reports that the people being most impacted by unemployment right now are women, and in particular, women of color. In fact, some researchers are calling this a she-session. We asked Catherine about whether that's the case and what the long-term impacts are. The important thing to understand is that men and women don't have the same jobs in the US. If I were to count, you know, say the major 20 occupation groups and compare the number of men and the number of women, they're, they're not the same. In fact, in most professions uh, or most occupations, they're not even close. So you'll have uh, occupation like construction, mining and extraction, those are very male. While education and health services, those tend to be very female. So in 2008, they, they referred to the recession as the man session because it hit the construction industry. This time around, the industries being impacted are different. I think if there's a layoff story about women workers, it would be that they are concentrated in, in, in industries that are being very highly affected, like leisure and hospitality, like education and health services, like office and administrative support. Those tend to be more female professions. Nearly half of the leisure and hospitality jobs were gone last month. For me, that's a smokescreen. You know, we want to say that women are being hurt more from the layoffs, but it's a pretty marginal difference on the actual rate. So the unemployment rate for men was 13%. The unemployment rate for women was 16.2. That's a difference, but it's not, it's not twice as high. It's higher among women, but, the, but you know what? It's, it's really high for both of them. For me, the way that this is a female recession is that as a country, we have never invested enough in working mothers. We've never had you know, easy and open access to affordable childcare. We have wage and promotion penalties that are well-documented for women once they have kids. And we have never had a caregiving burden in the home that we thought was equal. And there's a phenomenon of the second shift, our society where women put in a full day of work and then they go home and put in a half day of caregiving and homemaking. So if there's a sense that this is a, a female-led recession, I think for me, the story is really about women's burden in both the workplace and the household. You know, we, we have, you know, millions, tens of millions of children home from school. What percentage of moms are having to cut back their hours in order to teach them? Right. We don't know when school is going to open in the fall. How, how many how many women are, are leaving work or cutting back work because they don't have a childcare option and it falls on their shoulders? Now that that is what I'm worried about. These these differences in the unemployment rate. It's bad for both of them. But in the long term, uh, we know that women are less likely to work if they have a hard time finding childcare. So how are women going to be affected by the pandemic? I'm very worried about labor force attachment in the next three years, given just the explosion of the overall household burden right now. This is something that Catherine says is going to be an important thing to watch. We're so in the in the deep end and nobody's really doing well that it's hard to, to carve out this story yet. 
What we know is that uh, black women are more likely to be single mothers than white women. Women are more likely to hold personal care and service jobs and education and health jobs. Uh, and black women are paid less than white. And all of those are things that could be exacerbated by everybody losing their job. But it, what is going to be much worse is in how much it's going to be exacerbated by who is hired back and when. And that long tail of the drain of like the water coming out of the bathtub for unemployment, that rate is not the same for black people and white people. And it's not the same for men and women. And that is where the disparity, the lasting disparity is going to come from. So basically, the unemployment situation is bad, worse than we think. And we don't know what recovery is even going to look like particularly for women. So how long will it take to recover? The recovery from the pandemic and the shutdowns that caused a spike in unemployment is going to take a long time. It's going to take, I, I would hazard a guess that it's going to be around two years. The best forecaster of unemployment in the long term is the Congressional Budget Office, and they have unemployment above 9% through the end of 2021. So uh, it will be high for the next couple of months. And then as states open up, the unemployment rate will decrease. But it's not going to, it's not going to flatten out. It's not going to just, you know, spike down. Because again, right, this is water draining out of a tub. It's just not going to go that quickly. The people who are, who the, you know, the faucet doesn't just come from job loss right? Faucet into unemployed. These are people coming back to work after an illness. These could be people graduating and entering the labor market for the first time. This could be a mom who put her kids in elementary school and now she wants to work again. The faucet has many, many sources, but the drain only has one outlet. And so that we expect in the United States that there's always a churn to unemployment. And what happens in recession is that the churn keeps going, but the drain doesn't drain. So it's going to take a long time for unemployment to recover. I would say there are lots of projections and a lot of people are going to make a ton of money in, pre in predicting how long unemployment is going to stay elevated. And they're going to come up with the unassailable conclusion that it's going to be sometime between one month and five years. But I think the more important question is, what does recovery mean to households? I mean, we talk about economic recovery in following a number and it's, it's marched downward, right? It was 14.7 and, and we wanna get it back down to five. That, that's a recovery that means something to markets, but it doesn't mean anything to people, right? Recovery for households is so contingent on what their starting point was. Did they lose their job? Did they get unemployment? Did that unemployment come fast enough so that they didn't lose their house or their apartment or their car, that they didn't have to skip meals? Were they able to find a job? I mean, that's what recovery really means. And it's a, a, a myriad and really fraught process that can mean a lot to a lot of different people. And the most important time to watch what is happening to households and these disparities for women and people of color is not on the way down, it is on the way up. Because in the American economy, the biggest risk is being left behind. So what's the skim? While weekly unemployment claims in the U.S. are going down, they're still historically high. And some states are still struggling to pay people who filed for unemployment, especially gig workers and people who are self-employed. If we learned anything from the Great Recession in 2008 and 2009, it's that it will take a while for people to get jobs again. And even then, it's not clear that there will be jobs to come back to. While women, and particularly women of color, are being impacted more than men by unemployment, 
The bigger concern down the road could be whether they get those jobs back. As for how long it will take for the country to recover from this, it's really any economist's guess. But it's also important to look beyond the record high numbers you're hearing about and to examine how families on an individual level will recover from this. Coming up with record high unemployment right now, one thing lots of people are trying to figure out is how to actually find a job. We talked to a career counselor about how to job search during a pandemic. That's next. Looking for a job is basically a full-time job. And now with a global pandemic, the job search has become more complicated. This week, we're breaking down how to job search during COVID-19. Whether you were recently let go, just graduated, or are preparing for an uncertain future. While it's not the most ideal time to look for that new job or take a career risk, there are ways you can prepare. We spoke with Top Resume's career expert, Amanda Augustine, about how to get the ball rolling if you've recently lost your job. It's okay to take a moment to actually process things, grieve the loss. It is a loss. Jobs are, can be very personal. But then you want to pick yourself back up and start devising that plan. So after you take that moment, you need to take stock of your situation. You have to look at your finances, consider your industry and your location, and figure out, am I looking for a short-term solution or do I have the luxury of searching for that more permanent long-term job at this point? And it's okay if you want to pursue both simultaneously, but you really have to understand, is my industry at this moment not hiring anyone? Do I need to pivot in some way, shape or form because I have bills to pay? Right now, it's just as important to consider short-term solutions to put money in your pocket as it is to think about your long-term career goals. Basically, it's okay to put away that five-year plan and start thinking about your three to six-month plan. Then it's time to make a list. Write down your hard skills and soft skills and start brainstorming how you can pivot them to apply to new jobs or industries you hadn't previously considered. In other words, try to apply your skills and experiences to the industries that are saying help wanted. More on that later. And if you're worried about taking a career detour, don't. It's an unprecedented time, and a potential employer will probably be understanding. You can also invest in skills that could help you get hired later. Unfortunately, some quarantine activities might not count, like learning how to make a TikTok. But you can take virtual courses online at places like Coursera or Khan Academy. You can also get virtual certifications on Microsoft IT or LinkedIn Learning. And regardless of your industry, there are a few things every employer will be looking for. I think we're going to see uh, employers looking for uh, potential candidates that they know can adapt to whatever situation's going on. We, everyone had to suddenly become remote whether they were accustomed to it or not. Can you adapt on the fly? So brush up on some hard skills like digital software or programming and some soft skills like communicating and managing while remote. And now it's time to talk resumes. You knew we were going to go there. If you haven't edited yours in a while or it's still in Comic Sans font, we've got some tips. The first thing 
I, I like to tell everybody is you need to think of your resume as a marketing document. It's carefully curated based on a certain goal that you're pursuing as opposed to just a transcript of your work experience and your education. So it's all going to start with what, you're, what goal you're pursuing. Augustine says this format works no matter what your profession is. Your resume will become your baseline document or your master template. Once you've got that down, take a look at some job descriptions that interest you. You should then tailor your resume to the jobs you're applying for. But this shouldn't change your master document all that much. This does not require an overhaul of your resume. This should be minor modifications to the language so it lines up more appropriately with job description. So you're more likely to get past that initial gatekeeper and onto a human for review. Once you've hit save, the next stop is networking, which, pro tip, is how over 70% of all job seekers get their gigs. But now that you're likely not meeting for coffee or attending a conference, there are still ways to build connections virtually. You can still attend conferences, workshops, and other networking opportunities online. There are also professional and social networking sites like LinkedIn or Facebook. Take a look at who you know in various industries and prepare to do some outreach. Be sure to look for mutual connections or interests so that there's some commonality going into the conversation. Here's what Augustine suggests. My favorite networking tool, whether we were all stuck in our homes or not, uh, is the concept of an informational interview. And an informational interview is when you, the job seekers, line up conversations with people in desirable fields, companies, um, industries, and basically you're interviewing them for information. You don't go into them expecting a job. You don't, you know, it would be great if you get a job lead. It might happen, but it's not the goal. The goal is to collect information to get a better understanding of the landscape of a particular field, industry, or even a particular company just to understand their hiring practices and what's going on over there and are they hiring. When you're going into a networking conversation, be specific with your ask and how much time you'll need from the other person. Also, be sure to have a short paragraph about yourself prepped in advance. That way, your new connection can get a sense of who you are, what you have in common, and why you're getting in touch. And where can you actually find out who's hiring? Check job boards, especially ones that are posting about remote work like FlexJobs and Upwork. LinkedIn and Glassdoor also have job postings. And be sure to select Open to New Opportunities if you have a LinkedIn profile and join some professional networking groups on social media sites to see what people are posting online. So you've updated your resume, you've networked and applied for a few jobs. Now what? The Zoom where it happens, AKA virtual interviewing. Our first tip, get dressed and be sure to wear pants. Our second tip, practice. Download the video software ahead of time, pick a well-lit spot in your living space and practice making eye contact at the camera. And a bonus, you can also keep a cheat sheet nearby in a virtual interview. This can help remind you of questions you might have or points you want to bring up, but don't look at it too often. So that's how to get your job search going in the age of COVID-19. But there are still some things everyone can be doing regardless of whether you're working right now or not. 
nobody has a crystal ball, right? And I think there is this this kind of domino effect where you may not think your industry is directly affected, but they're all connected in some way, shape or form and it, everything has an impact. My preferred strategy or recommended strategy would be hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Have your resume ready to go. You know, know who you'd want to tap in order to be a reference if you needed to. Start looking at the job boards and keeping an eye on what's going on. The most important thing to remember is that the more you network, apply, and hone your skills, the better chance you have to get hired. And if you're still employed, it's never too soon to polish that resume or reach back out to an old colleague. If you're looking for more tips as you start your job search or reach out to your LinkedIn connections, we've got you covered. Head to theskim.com slash job hyphen searching for more. Before we go, we want to answer one of your questions. We put a call out asking what questions you had about the COVID-19 pandemic. And one thing you asked us to explain is what industries are hiring right now? With record national unemployment levels, a bunch of people are probably on the search for their next gig. But there's still a lot of uncertainty around when some companies will start hiring again. On top of that, since the pandemic, a lot of consumers are shifting in how they decide to spend their money. Think less money on travel and dining out, and more money on things like grocery delivery. So what industries are ramping up hiring? Well, definitely food and delivery services to support all the recent increases in online shopping. Over the last few months, Amazon and Instacart have hired hundreds of thousands of workers and plan to keep hiring more. FedEx and UPS are also listing positions for delivery drivers and warehouse workers and say that they're seeing the same uptick in deliveries that they normally see around the holidays. But they're not the only ones. Companies in tech and entertainment are also looking to hire, including ones like the parent company of TikTok. And according to CNN Business, Netflix, probably one of your quarantine best friends, is also looking to hire. Remote work job postings have also increased including listings for customer service, IT, and education. And if you're still in school and worried about missing out on summer 2020 internships, there are some companies still looking for interns in industries like healthcare and banking and financial services. To keep up to date on the latest news, including headlines about COVID-19, head over to theskim.com world. And that's all for Skim This. We'll be back in your feed again next Friday. In the meantime, we want to hear your burning questions about the news right now. You ask, we skim. Shoot us an email at audioattheskim.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 646-461-6370. We really do check it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more Skim and to sign up for our daily newsletter, head on over to theskim.com.